This is our last ser uh, sermon in the series of what a time to be alive. And we got a good amount to cover. And I want to make sure that as we go through today's sermon, you have the backdrop of what we discussed over the last four weeks. In the first week, we discussed oppression and the people of Israel. We looked at this understanding how God shows up in oppression and how we can place or orient ourselves in the midst of the oppression that we're facing. In week two, we discussed, we discussed rather decisions and King Xerxes, understanding how decisions are impacted by who we are and often they're reflective of what's going on inside of us. Week three was hate and Haman. There, we took an, a, a, an understanding to see that as believers, as people who believe in God, there's no place for hate in our hearts. And we ask for the Lord to examine our heart and mind and reveal to us what the wicked way is inside of us so that he can change our hearts. Last week, we talked about integrity and Mordecai. There, we, uh, we, we came to the understanding that biblical integrity helps us in choosing between right and wrong, even in the face of misfortune, and allows for us to challenge other people with the truth that lives inside of us. With a heart and mind of integrity, we produce actions of integrity, and those actions will eventually lead to our promotion, whether that is immediately or eventually in the future. Today, we are going to be looking at the most important character in the book of Esther, the central character, the center character, but she doesn't do much and say much until near the end. We're looking at Queen Esther today, and the title of our message is called Courage and Queen Esther. That's right, Courage and Queen Esther. Side note, I wanna thank you guys for being patient we have a light up there that's like 25 feet up or something like that. And it's just flashing on and off. There's nothing we can do about it. I can't fly. I think I'm going to bring my daughter. She'll be able to get it. I'll just like throw her up there and she'll find a way to unscrew it and fix it. Thank you for bearing with us, y'all. Uh, I just want to make sure that you know there isn't any crazy flashing lights in the black. We just got to fix that light up there. Uh, as we examine today Esther, we're looking at the connection between Esther and the concept of courage. Now, it's important for us to understand, just like we talked about in the beginning, the details of Esther's journey. Esther is the niece of Mordecai, who was taken in, Mordecai, who took her in, rather, after her parents had passed away. They are Jews in exile, they're prisoners living in Babylon under the rule of King Xerxes. King Xerxes is looking for a new queen because he banishes his former queen, Queen Vashti. And in his search for a new queen, he ends up with Esther. Now, Esther's uncle Mordecai, while she is queen, starts to develop some bad blood with Haman, the king's top royal. And as a result... Haman wants for Mordecai and all the Jews to be killed. And the king initially agrees to that. Mordecai approaches his niece, Queen Esther, and tells her of the plan. This is where we find our character, Esther, today. You see, Esther is charged with a huge burden, a burden that requires a crazy amount of courage. But the burden itself has so many implications should she agree to help 
Should she decline? Is she stuck? What does it require of her? You see, underneath it all is the concept courage. Does Esther have the courage in the moment that presents itself to stand up and stand out? In our culture, we are asking this question. So many areas beg this concept of courage, yet we continually ask ourselves, where is the courage? Public health regarding the pandemic, public safety regarding trauma and violence, and that's a public health issue as well. Both current and historical issues that present themselves, navigating through the electoral season and how we vote, who we vote, what we vote, when we vote, all these different things. All of this requires a sense of conviction and courage. Courage is very easily spoken about, but it's very hard to live by. Uh, my, my daughter loves to watch the movie Brave, uh, and it tells of uh, a young story about this young girl who uh, goes against the grain. She doesn't do what is expected of her culturally, and it requires for her to be brave and have courage. With that, let's just take a look at our first point. Courage goes against the grain of culture. Courage is not something that we wish for. So, excuse me. Courage is something that we wish for, but often is not attained. Courage is usually something that presents itself as a possibility, but most people walk back from it when the time presents itself. Y'all, uh, my, my wife and I, we used to watch the show occasionally, What Would You Do? I'm sure you've heard of it, What Would You Do? And, and on this show, people are presented with a bunch of different possibilities and different situations that happen in public places, different places in public all over the country. Now, unbeknownst to the, to the, the citizens that are being filmed, the situation is staged and it's done by actors. And the actors are usually acting out some sort of hot button issue, like some sort of major topic, major thing that's going on. Uh, and th I think there was one situation where it was like, what would you do, here's an example, what would you do if you were sitting at a table and there were four teenage girls and three of those teenage girls started picking, up, picking on that one girl and then those three teenage girls that were bullying the girl go to the bathroom, what would you do, right? And it makes for a really interesting social experiment. I'm not going to lie, depending on what it is, I get really cringy, so I get embarrassed when I watch TV. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I can watch a character doing something really embarrassing on TV, and I start to, like, shrink into myself, like, uh, 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 uh. I, like, get really, really cringy because I can't handle it. And sometimes that happens when I watch What Would You Do? And, and there are times where I get mad. Where I'm like, yo, how can they let that happen to that young girl or that young man or that person? Other times I get sad because it's a reflection of where our world is at. And when you watch, what would you do? You can kind of hear 
what the people who are watching, the spectators, you can kind of hear what they're thinking. You see, the issue is, even though everyone is watching, even though everyone knows that something has to be done, many people choose not to stand up. And then afterwards, they do the post-interviews with a lot of people that are in the room when, they, when everybody finds out that it's fake. And then the question is like, why didn't you get involved? And people often say, well, I wanted to get involved. I knew I had to say something, but I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't want to interject. I didn't want to get involved. It wasn't my business. See, there were social norms that, that, that exist in society that cause people to take a step back. They don't want to violate those social norms. Sometimes those social norms that exist that people are afraid of touching are official rules like laws and policies and practices and edicts that are set in place by a government or some sort of official person. Other times, it's informal. It's how we operate in informal groups, in our communities, in our towns, and with our friends and family. You see, Queen Esther found herself in a bit of a social dilemma. Mordecai is calling her to speak up on behalf of her people, Jewish people. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 of chapter 4, Mordecai says, Esther, or prior to verse 10, excuse me, Esther, you have to do something. We are in danger. You, me, our people. We are going to die. You gotta step in. You gotta help. Now, y'all, listen to Esther's first words, right in verse 11. She says, Listen, there's a certain law that everyone knows about. All the king's officials know about it. The people in the royal territories know about it. It applies to any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard without being sent for. Wait, y'all, let me, let me translate. Um, there's a standard that's set in our kingdom. You see, where we live, in our community, there's a way that we do things. The king knows about it. The government knows about it. The people of the kingdom knows about it, know about it. Everyone knows what the standard is. You see, her first response is, wait, 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 wait. Everyone else. You see, she's more concerned about the fact that there's a standard she can't break. Esther falls victim to the fall in line mentality. She falls victim to the, there's a way that we do things. I don't want to make people uncomfortable. She immediately thinks about what is going to happen or what it looks like for her to go against the societal expectations. Now, let me ask you a question. How often do you find yourself stuck 
in the societal expectations and the expectations of other people. How often do you find yourself in the moment that requires courage? You fall back in line because there's a standard, there's a way of doing things that has already been set. And you say to yourself, I can't cross that. I can't say that. If I say that, I'm across the line. I can't think that because if I think that, I'm going to offend somebody. I can't do that because if I do that, people are going to think that I'm weird. See, if I do this, my family is going to look at me differently. I'm going to upset them. My friends will distance themselves from me. They're not going to want to associate with me. My loved ones will turn their back on me because I no longer fit what they expect for me to do. You see, the expectations of others will keep us from stepping out and stepping up with courage. The thoughts and expectations of other people will disrupt you. They will tear into you. They will make you doubt yourself. They will make you retreat into your shell. You ever, you ever do something and you think that you're doing the right thing and you're like, you're taking a stand for yourself and then all of a sudden people come with their feedback and then you just find yourself, well, oh, mm, uh, and then, oh God, like, uh, you don't know what to do anymore because what you wanted to do or what you started doing is no longer in line with what people think that you do. So you retreat into a place of safety, a place of self-preservation. You see, it causes you to get stuck in the same place. It causes you to get unnecessarily anxious or worried or fearful. See, you get more concerned about the voices of other people and what other people might think or do towards you instead of being concerned with what the voice of God is calling you to do. When it's time for you to have courage, the voice of God must be louder than the voice of man. There's another individual in the Old Testament. His name is Joshua. And we see in the book of Joshua, the first chapter is his time to step up to the plate. You see, many, many years before Joshua was a servant leader, or the years beforehand, Joshua was a servant leader helping Moses lead the people out of Egypt while they were in the wilderness, or while they were in the wilderness as they were headed towards the promised land. But we run into an issue. Moses has died, and the people need a leader. Now, can you imagine... Joshua, Moses' protege, having to step into Moses' shoes. Huh. Imagine the stress. Imagine the fear. Imagine the anxiety. Can I do it? Will I fail? Will I live up to the moment? Will I live up to what Moses was but then we see God say not once but twice Joshua be strong and courageous for I the Lord your God is with you I will never leave you nor will I forsake you you see it was God's voice not the voice of the people that became the source of courage Joshua. 
So it doesn't matter to me if you have a relationship with God for 30 years or if you just met God this morning when you tuned in. It doesn't matter to me if you are part of a community where you are well-known and people know who you are, or if you are still hiding behind the shadows, looking for your place in your family, in your friend circle, at work. I don't care about your skin color. I don't care about your ethnic background. I don't care about your life experiences. When it's time to step up to the plate and be courageous, you must be listening to the voice of God and not the voice of man. Hmm. Whose voice are you listening to? Who's chirping in your ear? Who's talking to you? You got to do that thing, a thing that scares you. Listening to God's voice? God leading you down that path? Or are you listening down to other people and other people infecting and infiltrating the way that you think and feel? You see, the second point, courage is not something that you're born with. Courage is something you choose. There's a fallacy that we believe that many people think that you are either born brave or you are not born brave. I think of my, I think of my, my children. So my, my eldest daughter, I believe that she was probably born brave. Uh, the girl would be one and, a, one and a half. And by one and a half, kids usually understand, like, the concept of falling. And my daughter would just uh, jump off a ledge. Meanwhile, the difference between my eldest daughter and my youngest daughter is she, that my youngest kind of gets the concept already of, like, oh, this does not feel good if I fall, right? My eldest was born with an innate sense of bravery. I also think of David Blaine. Y'all know David Blaine, the illusionist. Uh, he does so many feats. In fact, in September, he actually flew across the Arizona desert at 25,000 feet, tied or harnessed, I believe, either harnessed or holding on, forget which one, to helium balloons. Like, like a cartoon, like the movie Up, but just in real life. That's an extreme feat. But he didn't just get himself there. He didn't just wake up and say, hmm, I'm not afraid of heights today. I'm just going to jump on these balloons and go 25,000 feet up in the air in a random state. No. You see, there was a process. There was choices that David Blaine made to be able to, be able to have a sense of courage. If you do research, you find out when he was four, he ran into his first street musician, uh, not musician, magician. And at that point, his family says he became enamored with street magic. And he eventually started doing stunt after stunt after stunt. And his stunts got more brave and more daring and more extreme. There was a process, but there were choices that he made. He wasn't born brave. He wasn't born courageous. He chose to be courageous. Most of us, I'll go as far as saying all of us are not born with courage. 
Our gut instinct is to stay away from something that requires us to step outside of our comfort zone, to stay away from things that could potentially harm us, to stay away from things that can cause disruption in our family groups, in our circles, at work, with those that we love. And Queen Esther is no different. You see, Esther's first response is out of fear. In verse 11, she says, if I go before the king without him calling me, I'm going to be put to death. And y'all, he hasn't called me in 30 days. This was a risk for Esther. Understand this, y'all. If we go back and understand the first message of oppression, this is an oppressive time for Esther. Not only is it oppressive because she's a Jewish woman, a, 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 a Jewish person, She's also in a, woman, in a society where women are looked down upon. They are diminished. She's in, a, in what we would call a misogynistic society. So for her, there's a double jeopardy that she has to worry about. Even though she was queen, she still didn't have the power that she needed, as we talked about in our second message, the status that she needed. It was the king with his power and his status that could make a decision that would immediately impact her and her people. You see, when we are facing risk, it is normal for us to, for, it is normal for fear rather, to be one of the first emotions that we feel. There's an, I'm just gonna be honest with you, there's something in the church where we, we, where we say that if you are fearful, if you have an, a human emotion of fear, that uh, your faith isn't strong enough. I want to tell you something. In your humanity, you may feel the instinct of fear, fear like this. Sometimes you can't help the fact that you are afraid. And if your life is in danger... It's normal for you to have that feeling of fear. Situations happen that require us to be courageous, but that doesn't change the fact that when we first think about it, when we first approach it, we are afraid of the possible impacts that it can have on us, on our lives, and the way that we do things. You see, when we're facing an existential threat, when we're facing something that can harm us at our core, it's much deeper than just a surface fear, right? So let me acknowledge that today. Some of us live in fear of certain things that are happening in our lives. And the fear is not, oh my God, am I going to be able to eat later? I didn't go food shopping, so I'm going to be hungry. It's, oh my goodness, my marriage is crumbling. Oh my goodness, my church is divisive and I don't know where I'm going to end up. Oh my goodness, I'm dealing with A, B, C, or D, and it's putting such a strain on my emotions, on my mentality. Oh my goodness, I'm dealing with sickness. And the doctor has told me that things don't look great. You see, fear is a very real thing, but fear causes us to fixate on the consequences. Mm. Fear causes us to get stuck and only focus on consequences. How many times when we are in a fearful situation, we think 
what if I suffer? What if I lose everything? What if I'm just not enough? Can't someone else do it? I'm not good enough. Why does it have to be me? What if this ends up terribly? It gets easy for us to get stuck, to become immobilized. We can become frozen by the hate that gets launched our way, like we talked about with Haman and Mordecai in our third message that we talked through. We can be frozen by oppression and trauma that we've experienced. We can feel unsure about a decision that we need to make because maybe we feel powerless or lonely. It may even challenge our sense of integrity, our ability to be able to see what's right and wrong. Fear clouds our judgment and what we thought we knew we no longer know because what stands in front of us is daunting. It may be a lifetime of feelings, of history, positioning, abuse, pain that keeps you from living up to the moment. But listen up. Courage only requires a moment. If you're listening, let me, make, let me say that one more time. Courage requires one moment. You see, Esther shows us that even in her feelings, she could find the courage that she needed to live up to the moment. But the thing was, she needed to be reminded of who she was. And where she was. You see, in verse 14, we see Mordecai say to Esther, Yo, listen up. I know you're queen and all, but you may have been made queen for this very moment. In his words, perhaps you've been placed here for such a time as this. Remember, last week, we spoke about Mordecai's integrity and how it forced Esther to be honest with herself and who she was. Esther needed to have somebody in her corner when things got tough, when things got scary, when she fixated on the consequences. She needed to have someone who was able to speak truth to her in her moment of weakness. In the moment where she wanted to fade away into the background and let everything pass, Mordecai, armed with his internal sense of integrity and selflessness, speaks truth to Esther and encourages her to embrace her moment with courage. And then we see Esther finally choose it. She makes her choice to step up and be courageous. And listen, listen to what she says in verse 16. She says, even to the point of death, I will go to the king on behalf of my people. And if I die, I die. When fear takes over you, find someone that can speak truth 
into your life. When fear takes over you, when you're so stuck in the mire of worry and doubt and paralyzed by what may be coming by the consequences, you need to find someone that can speak truth who is outside of what you are dealing with and that can help you find the courage that you need to rise to the moment. Who's that person for you? Who's that person that can speak truth? in fear speak courage in doubt speak honesty when the devil is in your ear and he's lying to you he's telling you that everything is going to be terrible he's telling you that everything is going to be an abomination he's telling you that if you do this you are going to end up in a worse position than you are already in who's that person that can speak the truth and the light of God into your life so you can find the courage just like Joshua, just like Esther to rise to the occasion. But y'all, courage does not mean that we rush. Courage does not mean that we rush. So here's the thing that happens with a lot of us. We get old, right? Uh, uh, uh. So there's this term in, in culture when people drink too much uh, libation, so to speak, or alcohol, right? And they, uh, they, it's called liquid courage, right? Because things that people wouldn't have done in their normal state of being, they find the courage all of a sudden to do. And it usually ends up really bad for them. You see, we often get full of courage, and then what happens to us? We go full steam ahead. We don't think, we jump on it, we go from zero to 100 real quick. But in our courage, we must operate with wisdom, intelligence, and discernment. What does scripture say? Now that we find our courage, what, what does scripture say about what, we're about what we're about to do? What does the written word of God say to us? What has the Lord spoken to us in prayer or in fasting? What steps can we take to set the stage as God is moving on our behalf? Y'all, in the words of that popular TikTok song, don't rush. Don't rush. Y'all don't got to rush. Just because we found courage doesn't mean that we have to jump into what it is that we need to do. We need to be taking a sense. We need to take our time, rather, and be calculated. See, your moment of courage will come and create a mountain of hope and possibilities for others. Yes, there is a sense of urgency. Yes, time may be limited. Yes, you may need to get things done because there are things that are at stake, but you can still be intentional, still be calculated, set the stage. You see, we see Esther take her time 
and she invites, or rather, excuse me, Esther does what she does. She fasts, and as it says in the scripture, she takes three days to get ready for what she's been called to do. And after those three days, she approaches the king, and in chapter 7, we see, excuse me, in chapter 5, she approaches the king, and she says, hey, yo, king, I want to have you over for dinner. Now, remember, she was afraid that she was going to die. When she approaches the king, he doesn't get upset with her for being there. He extends his scepter that says, oh, no, you're good. Come in. And instead of jumping on her opportunity, she says, come over to my place. Let's talk. Let's have some dinner. She also invites Haman, the same man who has set her and her people to death. She invites him to dinner. They come over, and they get merry with wine. Again, alcohol is a very, very persistent theme in this, and we're going to talk about that a little later as we continue these services. Um, but this is a persistent theme. She, she's calculated. She gets the king and Haman both into a state where they can be ready for what she has to say. And then she shares her plan. She tells the king that Haman has sentenced her and her people to death. At that point, King Xerxes gets upset and walks out. And Haman realizes, oh, no, 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 I'm in big trouble. And we see finally with her moment, with the courage that she has taken, Esther begins the plan or the plan for saving her people begins to roll out. And there are different things that happen. As a result of Esther telling the king the plan, King Xerxes then sentences Haman, the same person who wanted the Jewish people and Mordecai to die, sentenced him to death in the same way that Haman was going to kill Mordecai. Afterwards, King Xerxes also makes Mordecai the second in command. Look at that. Remember, we talked about elevation last week, right? What his integrity? That man who saved the king's life, the man who didn't have any praise with what he had done behind closed doors, is now elevated and takes Haman's position in the kingdom. He becomes second in command. And third, we see that the king writes an official edict protecting the Jewish people who live in his kingdom from further persecution. Hold up. That sounds familiar. You mean the same people in verse 1 that were oppressed? Now that very same king is removing that oppression and protecting those very same people. Hatred is stomped out of the land. Anybody who goes against those people is subject to death by the king's order. Mordecai, the, the man of integrity, is elevated and honored for his integrity that he had done, for the actions that he had done in his integrity. You see, the courage of Esther had a snowball effect with a mountain of possibilities. Your courage, your choice to stand up will have a snowball effect in your life and in the life of other people. Your courage can change the way people interact in your family. 
Your courage can shift the way that things occur in your job or in your school. Your courage in relationships can help to set the course of your life, whether it's with that person that you're currently with or with someone else that God has ordained for you to be with. Your courage to speak up and stand up for those that can't speak for themselves is the very thing that can uplift people from oppression. Your courage can change the trajectory of not just your life, but the life of those who surround you, the life of those in your community. You know what's crazy about this? The book of Esther doesn't explicitly name God. What? Yeah, God is not explicitly named in the book of Esther. But God was always there and always working. You see, it's easy to think that God is lost in everything that was happening in Esther's world. How is it that God allowed for things to happen the way they did? How is it that God allowed for things to be present, for mankind to run wild to the point where a whole group of people might be annihilated by just one man? However, even as mankind makes its choices, God is still standing and working behind the scenes, lining up things for the moment of glory and liberation for his people. God used the oppression of, of the Jews caused by the evil of the Babylonian Empire to bring his people just to the point of where he needed them to be. He needed Esther to be there. God allowed for King Xerxes to be king of the kingdom. And even though he struggled with certain things, even though he made poor decisions, God allowed for him to be there because he knew that Xerxes would be the one that would meet Esther at the end of the road. God used Haman and the hate that was in Haman's heart. Listen to what I'm saying. God used the hate that was in Haman's heart to begin a trajectory and expose what was going on in Haman to get the attention of the king and eventually put people, put his people on the path of liberation and freedom. God used Mordecai's integrity, putting a man of honesty in just the right place at just the right time to save the king. And even though his honesty wasn't something that was honored in the moment, at the end of the road, it would be used to elevate God's people and God's glory. And finally, God used Esther as the glue that would bring everything together. You see, in the oppression, in the hate, in the choices, with the integrity, all of it rested before Esther. And God gave her a sense of courage. Courage outside of her humanity, courage outside of her fate, courage outside of her nation, excuse me, courage to change the fate of her nation with one choice. She was at the right place at the right time. The world was going crazy, but God used Esther with one choice. Now is your time to live in courage and not fear, to think about what needs to shift, to, 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 to think about the things that need divine intervention, the things that need courage. Now is your time. Now is the place. Think about your family. 
your community, your nation. Courage that you take today can be the thing that shifts the journey of an entire world. So take courage, for the Lord is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you.